Good morning. Merry Christmas. I decided to dress down today because I got so dressed up the other night for the Christmas Eve service. So uh, this is it. Some people thought that when I said I was wearing my wedding suit that I was wearing the suit that I got married in. That's not the case. <laughs> I could not fit in that suit again ever again, I think. Not that I wouldn't want to fit in the suit again, but I just couldn't. So uh, anyway, thanks for everybody who came out to that Christmas Eve service. We had planned for a maximum number that was about 50 people less than actually showed up. So for you that were there, I'm sorry that it was so uh, very, very crowded, and we will look for another place next year. So in the meantime, Josh wants to talk to you. got the mic already ready to go. Yes. He's going to talk to us about what happened yesterday at the Carpenter Shelter. Yeah. So I'm Josh. I do the, the mission stuff around here, and I just wanted to give you guys a quick update. Um, I don't know how many of you all know that we actually do a lot of things locally and internationally. It seems like we talk about Mexico and what we do down there a lot. Uh, but we actually work right down the street at the Carpenter Shelter uh, three times a month. And yesterday we did a big thing, a big Christmas breakfast. I think there were about 14, 15 volunteers from Grace. And we did a big steak and eggs and a big Christmas party. And so... Um, I guess I just want to share with you if you guys have any interest in, in plugging in uh, to whether it's the Carpenter Shelter or Casa Cherry Lager or any of the local stuff, uh, there's a, always opportunity. But I also want to say a big thank you to you all because, you know, whatever money goes into the, to the offering box ultimately helps us do these missional things and, and serve our community. So a big thank you to you all. That's all I got. Thank you, Josh. Okay, if you'll take the blue bulletin, uh, I won't go through all of them, but that opening flap, you know, when you open it up, there on the left-hand side, there is basically all the announcements. There's a number of things. The midweek music's week, we're not having it. That's one note that you need to make. We didn't get in the bulletin quick enough. That's not happening this particular Tuesday. You see next week, Derek is actually going to talk about some really important things that are going to affect us in the year to come, kind of where we're going. And then two weeks from today, we're starting a relationship series in which the first uh, message is going to be about the secret of great relationships. So if you want to know what that was from the Bible, we're going to talk about that. And then you've got all the sermon titles that we're going to do over the course of that series. On January the 4th, there's an open discussion. There's information there about what's going on with that. And, well, I think that's about it. You can read the rest for yourself. Um, so, all right. Today we're going to talk about uh, what to do when life doesn't go the way you expected it. I don't know if that's ever happened to anybody uh, before, but that happens to some of us. And so I want to start by just showing you a brief video clip. So if you'll just turn your eyes towards the screen. I don't think those are books. Okay. All right, so that little guy didn't get what he was expecting on, uh, on Christmas. Did, um, maybe some of you got books for Christmas. Uh, maybe some of you got something you were not expecting in 2010. And that's going to be the question today. Did, did this past year go as you expected it to? 
Did this past decade go as you expected it to? Uh, did things turn out the way you expected to with your health? Did things turn out the way you expected them to with your relationships or your career or your finances? And how about that diet you started about 12 months ago? That, that did, didn't turn out for somebody on that side over there. Kids, do you have kids? Do you want kids? Do you have kids and not want kids? How did that, how'd that go for you? How'd all that go for you? The reality is that plans change, dreams get shattered, diets end a little too early, divorce happens, kids rebel, businesses downsize, and medical reports don't always have good news. And so what do we do when things do not turn out the way we expected them to? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the guidance that your holy word gives us. And as we dig into it today, speak to each one of us. We thank you for your presence amongst us, Holy Spirit. Again, speak to us and touch us. Draw our attention and our eyes and our focus towards something that you have us to see and learn this morning. So that as we begin 2011, we could go equipped and move forward in your will and in your way for our lives. In Christ's name, amen. A couple of scriptures I have for you on the back of your bulletin or on the screen behind me. Deuteronomy 7, 9, talking about the faithfulness of God, which we have just sung about, the faithfulness of God. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God. He is a faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations. Psalm 36 your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. And in Revelation 19, speaking of Jesus Christ, a rider on a horse, he says, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called faithful and true. I'd like to just take a few moments and go through the life of King David. And let's talk about what happened in his life when things did not turn out as he expected them to. Because he had a number of situations in his life when he had an expectation of things going a certain way. And in many cases, it was God's will as well. In addition, it wasn't him acting independent. But things were God's will, and he had this expectation, and they didn't turn out the way he expected them to. So let's just trek quickly through his life and talk about a couple of these things. Well, he starts out, things are going okay. He's a shepherd boy, a shepherd for his father, keeping his flock. The boy was quite brave because we're told that he killed lions and bears, lions and bears as a young boy. Okay, they would attack the flock, boom, he would grab a hold of them, and he'd kill them. He was also a gifted musician. He was so gifted that the king's talent scouts spotted him, heard him, and said, we need to have you come play your harp for the king. And so things were going well with that. But his brothers did not like him. They did not care for him. His brothers rejected him, and his own father did not respect him. And as a matter of fact, everybody, rejection covered his entire life. Even after he became king, he suffered with people who were repeatedly rejecting him. And in many times, the case was his own family rejected him, even though now he is this powerful king and respected by many, but still rejected by many. And so his own father does not respect him. His brothers reject him. He has this huge break in his life when the prophet Samuel shows up. Uh, king Saul wasn't doing the best. God says, you know what? I've chosen somebody else to lead this country. 
I want you to go to Jesse's family and anoint one of his sons as the next king of Israel. He goes there, and of all the sons, he takes the feast. He takes David, and he anoints him as king. Major, major break for David. It came out of nowhere. came out of nowhere. Nobody anticipated, particularly his family did not anticipate anything like this happening. Next thing we see is he defeats Goliath. And so many people have heard of that story. David, Goliath, he defeats this huge giant. Goliath. And so things are absolutely going great. It turns out that David becomes this incredibly skilled fighter. And not just that, not just on an individual level, he becomes a great military strategist. He becomes a general. And this guy is awesome. And he rises in the ranks. And now he becomes the shining star in King Saul's army. But his star shines so brightly that King Saul is not really excited about it. And they begin to sing a song in Jerusalem that King Saul has killed his thousands, but uh, David has killed his tens of thousands. And so Saul rejects him. Saul hates him. Now, it was pretty obvious to see when King Saul starts throwing spears at David, trying to pin him against the wall. One day, Saul sends a detachment of soldiers to arrest David because he was going to kill him. And now... David has a decision. What would King David do? Now, everybody, let's review. This is God's will for him to be the king. He's not king yet, but it's God's will. David loves God, serves God. God has given him great victories. What should he do? Would King David stop and pray? Would King David, not king yet, but would he take a stand? Would he fight? Would he surrender? Or fourth option, would he run? Would he run? What should he do? What should we do when things don't turn out the way we expect them to? King David, which is so strange, this incredibly courageous, brave fighter and warrior, decides to run. He gets out of Dodge as quick as he can go. His wife, who was also the king's daughter, King Saul's daughter, tips him off. Says, "There's soldiers, they're coming after you. Better get out. He takes her advice as fast as he can go. He goes to a town called Nob, N-O-B, Nob, and a priest by the name of Ahimelech. And Ahimelech sees him, and we're told in the scriptures that actually Ahimelech begins shaking. He is so nervous because David is all by himself. He says, what's going on? And David lies to him. He says, well, the king has sent me on a secret mission, very secret mission. And I've got a bunch of men. They're down the road. They're in a secret place. They're hiding are hiding out. And he says, Elimelech, do you have any food, supplies? Do you have a weapon? I had to leave so quick. I didn't even bring my sword. Do you have a weapon that I can borrow? And Himelech says, I've got some food. I'll got, I have some consecrated bread here from the place of worship. I will give that to you. I only have one weapon. And you know what weapon it happens to be? Who knows what is the only weapon he has on hand? Anybody? Goliath's sword. He happens to have Goliath. Same Goliath that David had defeated in this miraculous victory. And you would have thought that that would have woke David up. He said, whoa, that's right. God can do the impossible. God can do the impossible. Doesn't. He takes the sword, he takes the food, and he takes off running. Now, the problem was this, everybody. There was somebody watching everything that was going on who happened to be in the town of Nob. And his name was Doeg. 
Now, you know things are going to be bad because this guy's name is Doeg. How many people you know named Doeg? D-O-E-G. It's just a nasty name. I'm sorry if somebody named their kid there or their father's name or grandfather's name was Doeg. I apologize to you right now. Terrible thing for me to say. Anyway, Doeg is the shepherd of all. He's the head shepherd of all King Saul's shepherds. He's the head guy. He overhears this. So what does Doeg do? He runs and tells Saul. He says, Saul... You know what? Ahimelech from Nob, the priest down in Nob, he he gave David Goliath's sword and he gave him a bunch of food. And so what does Saul do? Man, he hightails it down there. He says, Ahimelech, why have you conspired against me? And Ahimelech says, what? I mean, he David said he was on a special mission. He was on a secret mission. He was out doing your business. What are you talking about? And Saul says, well, that might be true, but I'm very upset. And you're standing in front of me, so you're dead. And not only this, he has Ahimelech the priest killed, but that's not enough for Saul because Saul is so angry. He says, you know what? Forget it. Don't just kill him. I want you to kill every priest from Nob. Kill them all. Matter of fact, I want you to kill every member of Ahimelech's family, men, women, and children. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the people who carried out that plan running around, grabbing innocent men, women, and little children and putting them to the sword? That's what they did. But Saul wasn't done with that. He says, you know what? I am so disgusted with the situation. I want you to kill the entire, slaughter the entire town. Everybody in Nob is killed. Now, David hears about this. He's devastated because he knows it is his, it is his running and it is his lies that have caused tremendous collateral damage. Isn't that the case, everybody? When we decide to run and not to stand and believe in God, when we decide to check out and to run, isn't there tremendous collateral damage that then ensues? And this is exactly what happens for David. Now, you might say, uh, did he have any other options? If you read 1 Samuel chapters 18 to 20, you might say, well, you know what? Hey, John, how many options did the guy have? I mean... He was up against the wall. The king sent a whole bunch of soldiers his way. He had to run. He had to run. Well, maybe that, that might be true. The question to ask ourselves here is there, is there a pattern in David's life and is there a pattern maybe in our own lives? Like when things don't turn out the way we expect them to, do we also follow a certain pattern? The Bible does not talk a lot about running from problems, but it does talk a lot about this. It talks about standing firm and believing in God, believing in the Bible and believing in faith and fighting. It talks a lot about that. Can I give you a couple of those? Exodus fourteen thirteen. It's not on your sheet and it won't be behind me. Here's the verse that God has put on my heart. For some of you that are here today, I have a very specific message this morning that I'm going to try to speak to some of us that are here today. Now, listen, let me step away for a second. I am always extraordinarily uncomfortable coming across in a way that, hey, thus saith the Lord, makes me nervous. Never want to overstep my bounds. But as best I can say it this morning, after a lot of prayer and thinking about today, for actually many, many, many weeks, many months. God has put something on my heart, and I feel like God is saying there are people in this room who God has something he wants to speak personally to today. And here's a verse that talks about it, and I'm going to talk more about it in just a second. Exodus 14, 13. Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance of the Lord 
that God will bring you today. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. For some of us, our backs are up against the wall and you're making the decision about standing and fighting and believing or just running and checking out. For some of us, it's been hard times. You're facing something that's really tough. And you're wondering, is God going to ever come through? Is there ever going to be a change in your situation? And I think that God's saying, yes, yes, there is. Let me give you a couple other verses about standing firm. First Corinthians 16, 13, stand firm in the faith. James 5, 8, be patient and stand firm. Now, quick time out, everybody, just a quick time out. I am not saying that you should stand and stay in every single 100% of the time situations. I'm not saying that. There are some situations in which we need to leave. The Bible talks about that sometimes, in which we need to flee, in which we need to run away. The Bible talks about that sometimes. There are some situations where we're in an abusive relationship. We need, to, we need to move out. We need to go on, okay? Some of the time, that is the case. I'm talking about the majority of time here this morning in which we need to stand and we need to believe and we need to trust in God. Is there a pattern in David's life? Is this just like one blip on his radar screen of something happened? No, let's fast forward now. Let's go towards the farther towards the end of David's life when now he is the established king of Israel and Saul is dead. Is there a pattern for what we see happening in his life? And again, this seems so crazy to us because David is this courageous fighter known for his bravery. But will he run again later in his life when things don't turn out the way that he thought? Well, he did. So we see now that David is a king. Saul is dead. David's in his capital of Jerusalem. And he has pretty much peace everywhere. Relatively speaking, he has pretty much peace everywhere. Defeated everybody around him. He is not the best parent. He's not the best parent. He's found lacking. And he has a son named Absalom. And Absalom, what does he do to his father? He rejects his father. Common theme. He rejects his dad. He gets a bunch of malcontents together. And he says, you know what? Let's march on Jerusalem. And I'd like to take my dad out. I'd like to kill him. So he puts all these people together and now they're marching on Jerusalem. Absalom is a nobody. When it comes to fighting terms, if you can be nobody as a king's son, he's a nobody. When it comes to terms of fighting, this is Absalom going up against his dad is like a little puppy yapping at the heels of a hungry lion. There is no there's no comparison between the two. So when King David, the mighty warrior, the great general is told who is called by God and anointed by God to be king. And he's told, your son Absalom, who doesn't know Jack, he doesn't know nothing. He's marching on. he got a bunch of malcontents. He's marching on the city. What does the great and mighty king do who believes in God? He says, pack up, we're going. Is that odd? Is that weird? Is that strange? Pack it all up. We are taking off. And he leaves Jerusalem. Make a long story short, eventually there's a throwdown. They meet each other outside of Jerusalem somewhere, and it's just it's like nothing. It's over. David just boom slaughters the army. They disband quickly. See, it was no fight. There was no problem. David just chose to run. Now, what was the collateral damage? The first time there was tremendous collateral damage, right? He ran out, left earlier before he became king tremendous collateral damage because of what that whole town was taken out the entire knob all of all of them were killed is there collateral damage this time yes there's tremendous collateral damage this time because david leaves back behind some of his household to take care of his palace and they're abused and then in the midst of this fight 
David had told his generals, be easy with my son Absalom. He did not want Absalom to die. And what did his generals do? Man, they weren't happy. They got uprooted from their homes. Absalom came in and ran them all out. You think those guys were happy? These guys are fighters. And what do fighters do when things, you know, when somebody does something like that to them? What are they going to do, everybody? They're going to kill them. We respect what King David has said, but man, you have caused us some problems. So Absalom was flying on like a donkey throughout this forest. He had this long hair. It gets caught in the tree limbs and boom, the donkey goes and there's Absalom hanging there. One of the soldiers comes back to the general, Joab, and says, Hey, I saw him, man. Absalom, he's like hanging from his hair. He should have cut his hair. Hanging from his hair. What should we do? (laughs) Joab says, what should we do? How many spears do you have? And they had target practice. They just took him out. And David was devastated. Totally devastated by this. When we make the decision to run instead of standing When God is calling us clearly to stand, there can be tremendous collateral damage. And David is devastated by all of this. Now, some of us in this room this morning, we're running instead of standing. We are running instead of standing. We have stopped standing and believing. You know the right thing to do. You know God's call. You know God's will. You know God's word. And you're running from it. You're running from doing what God is calling you to do and fulfilling the task that he's put before you. Some of us are running physically like we just we walked away from some situation. Okay, some of us have done that. But a bunch of us in this room have checked out mentally. We haven't physically walked away, but we've mentally walked away. We have mentally checked out. We've checked out on our marriages. We've checked out on our kids. We've checked out on God. We've checked out on prayer. We've checked out on Bible reading. We've checked out on trying to break that destructive habit that's before us. We've checked out on some things and God's put on our hearts for our career or dreams for our lives or whatever. We have given up. Now, I want to say this. There is no guilt at all coming from me because I have chosen the David route more than once in my life. I have chosen to go the route of David more than once in my life. And instead of standing and believing and having faith in God, I've run too. So there's absolutely no guilt coming from me. But here's what I hear God saying to me today. For those of us who happen to be in this room, God says, you know what? It's enough. You've run far enough. Today is the day to stand and fight and to believe. To quit walking away and to quit checking out but to check back in with God and believe for God to do whatever it is that is in your heart and in his word to do what you know that you're supposed to do and take a stand. The first thing is this. Number one, you got to make a decision to make a stand. It's the first order of business. You know what? I'm done checking out physically and mentally. I'm done checking out. I'm in this thing, both feet. My decision is to be here. To do what God has called me to do. Wherever that is. Whether that's in a relationship for you. Whether that's in something God's called you to do. You make that decision. That's the first order of business. Is to stand. Here's the second order of business. Decide how you will stand. How are you going to make that stand? You're going to stand on the principles of God's word. Whatever God's saying. 
You're going to stand on what he has spoken to your heart. How will you make that stand? So let's do a Let's do a different scenario and a quick story this morning, because we talked about David and how he ran twice. and how he had that pattern. Now, let's talk about a woman named Esther. Esther won a beauty contest. And because she won this beauty contest, she became a queen. Esther was Jewish and the king didn't know she was Jewish. And the deal was, is the king had an advisor, a very important counselor, and this guy's name was Haman. And the problem is, is that Haman hated all the Jewish people living in his country, hated them, like desperately hated them. And so he talks the king into signing this, you know, law that all the Jewish people living in that country would be killed on a certain day. Well, Esther has an uncle and his name is Mordecai. And Mordecai hears about this and he's devastated. He rips his robe, he throws the dust on the hair and all this guy gets all upset. And Esther hears about it. Hey, Uncle Mordecai's outside sitting in the city gates and he's devastated. She says, well, you know, let's find out what's going on. She says, well, word comes back about this law that had been put into place. And on a certain day, all the Jewish people in the country are going to be killed. And he sends a message to Esther. You've got to do something about this. And Esther sends a message back. She says what? She says, hey, there's nothing I can do. If I try to do something about this, I'm putting my life at risk. I could die. Mordecai sends a message back to her. and says, what makes you think you'll be the only one who escapes the slaughter? Maybe you've come to power for such a time as this. Now, what she does next is very, very important. And here is the biblical pattern for standing and fighting. She says back to Mordecai, she says, I want you to send word this to everybody. She says, go gather together all, all the Jewish people who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days or three nights. And I and all those around me are going to fast and we're going to do the exact same thing. Prayer and fasting, standing and believing are always associated with breakthroughs. When somebody in the scriptures is in a desperate situation, what they do is they stand and they believe and they pray and they fast. Some of you remember these cards. Huge stack of three by five cards. I think it was six months ago that we did a message about the mysteries of God. And I said, when you come up for communion, if you have something that's on your heart, some mystery, something that you're praying about that you need a breakthrough, I said, just put a little note on a card, put it in a box as you come up for communion and drop it in. And I got this big stack. And that very day, that Sunday afternoon, I began to read through these things. And I realized there are a lot of desperate people sitting in all of these seats. And it started to weigh very heavy on my heart. And I felt like God began to speak to me for months and months and months now. And God's saying, I want to do something about that. And I said, well, God, what do you want to do about that? Well, I didn't know. I couldn't hear anything back. And I just kept praying. I've gotten a lot of connect cards. I've gotten a lot of emails. And you might be sitting here and say, you know what, John? I, I, don't, have, I don't have a lot of desperate things going on in my life. Maybe other people do. Maybe other people need to hear this message about fasting and praying. Well, okay, I've got news for you. That's not how the body of Christ works. Here's how the body of Christ works. When those of us around us in the body, 
we come together, we share the load, we pick up each other's burdens, we link arms, and maybe, hey, my life's okay. I don't need to fast. I don't want to fast. I'm as fat as I've ever been in my life right now. I don't want to fast. I mean, it's incredible how much weight I'm picking up. Why should I fast? I enjoy eating. And my life is pretty good. But here's the issue, everybody. When your brother or sister sitting next to you has got a problem in their life, you fast, you link arms, because when it comes to fasting and praying, numbers mean everything. Check it out in Scripture. You check it out. Why did the kings of Israel say everybody's fasting? Calls the entire nation to a fast. And some of you might say, let me take this quick time. Some of you say, well, man, I have to eat because of whatever. Okay, there's other ways to fast. For the majority of us, we can fast by not eating. But if you have to have to eat, there are other things that you can sacrifice and you can give up. All right, time back in. We do this because we collectively link arms together and we believe. And all across this room this morning, there are all kinds of people. Oh, man, they look great. You all dressed up nice. You look fantastic. You got the wonderful smiles on your faces and you're enjoying Merry Christmas. But the reality is, is there's stuff going on inside of these cards and inside of your lives. You're worried about your kids. You're worried about your marriage. You're worried about your career. You're worried about your retirement. You don't know what to do or where to go. There's heavy stuff going on right inside this room. And we all come together and we fast for each other. If you're not fasting for yourself, if you've got nothing to fast, great. That's one less burden off of the pot. And so we all come together and we fast and we stand and we believe and we don't check out. When things were desperate in the scriptures, like the city of Nineveh got the word, the whole city is going to be destroyed. What came down says you pray and you fast men, women, children and animals like we're not even going to let the animals eat. And when something like that is done, everybody, things break through. Now, here's the thing. On January the 4th, a week from this Tuesday. I'm going to just call a all of us to fast and pray all day that day. And not everything that happens from now to then is nothing but a buildup until that point. Again, I don't want to say thus saith the Lord, but there are those of us in this room that God is dying to give you your breakthrough. He is like on the edge of his throne saying, you know what? I know you've suffered. I know it's been long. But just because something is the will of God doesn't mean it's going to happen without a fight. Sometimes a hellacious fight. And some of you are just sitting there like, oh, man, you know, it's been so long. I don't even want to think. I don't even want to get my hopes up again because I can't take being disappointed. And I feel like God's calling us out this morning and saying, nope, you need to step up again for your marriage. You need to step up again for the relationship. You need to step up again for those of you hoping to be married, for those of you wanting to have kids, for those of you who are having health problems. For those of you having problems in your career, for those of you who don't know where, which way to turn next, for those of you who have a problem in your family, like your family is just fractured and as dysfunctional as ever could be, it's okay to believe. It's okay to stand up and fight. And you know what? When it's all said and done after next Tuesday and we fast and we pray together, maybe your situation might not change. But you know what? It might change for the person sitting next to you. And as a body of Christ, as a community of believers, you know what we do when that happens? We rejoice. The one thing that is ultra clear in Scripture is that when there is a desperate time and you want God to do something mighty and powerful, you fast. 
and you pray and God takes notice and he shakes things up. That is totally clear. And so the message that God has put on my heart this morning for those of us, it's time to stop running. It's time to stop running. It's time to check back in with God and to check back in with those around you that you know and love and to believe and to stand and to fast and to pray and to fight because God wants to do something absolutely awesome. I, uh, I read the other night something uh, that those there at the Christmas Eve service, uh, I liked it so much, I'm going to read it again. So for those who are at Christmas Eve, I'm sorry. I hope you enjoy it the second time around. This is from a minister. 60 years ago, he ministered. He's got an awesome name, Shadrach Meshach Lockridge. And what he writes about here is the faithfulness of God, everybody. He writes about how we can trust in God. His faithfulness is awesome and that he will come through for you. Okay, so let me read. He is the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He is the carnal necessity of spiritual religion. He can satisfy all your needs and he can do it simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He is available for the tempted and tired. He sympathizes and he sees. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young and he regards the aged. He rewards the diligent. He beautifies the weak. What I'm trying to tell you is that you can trust him. He is the master of the mighty. He is the captain of the conquerors. He is the head of the heroes. He is the prince of princes. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. You can trust him. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. And you can do what? You can trust him. I wish I could describe him to you. He's indescribable because he is incomprehensible. He is irresistible. He is invincible. You can't get him off your hands. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't outlive him and you can't live without him. Herod could not kill him. Death could not handle him. And thank God the grave could not hold him. There was nobody before him. There'll be nobody after him. He has no predecessor and he has no successor. You can't impeach him and he's not going to resign. You can trust him. So I want to remind you this morning, those of us, it's time to not run, but it's time to stand and fight and it's time to believe and it's time to fast and it's time to pray. And if it's not for you, it's for the person sitting to your right or your left. And it's time to trust God because all throughout scripture, the biblical principle is if something is going desperately wrong in your life or in the lives of people around you, you step up to the plate and you fast, and you pray, and you stand, and you fight, and you believe. So this morning, our prayer team is going to be right against this wall. We're going to sing a final song here in just a moment. And if you want to begin praying now, please see them right over here. We're going to begin to pray. But begin to stand and fight and make that decision. Come out on January the 4th, that Tuesday night, and let's believe as a collective body that God will do something great and he will honor his word he will honor his word god says he is a man that will not lie some of us in this room are wondering are you going to ever see some kind of change in whatever situation you're facing and the clear message to sum everything up this morning is i really feel like god is saying yes 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you, God, for your commitment to us. Whether we're standing and fighting or we're running away, you are committed, committed, committed to us. Father, I want to lift up every person in this room. God, there are some deep needs in this room. There is stuff, God, that we're not letting anybody else know about. On the inside of us, we cry. We cover it up to other people. We try to put on a happy face. But there's some serious stuff that's going on. Others of us, we just let it all hang out there. Everybody around us knows about the problems that we're facing and how devastating it is. Whichever way we choose to handle that devastation, God, I pray this morning that you would speak to us and help us to have the courage to believe once again and to help us to link arms with brothers and sisters and to stand and not run and to pray and to believe and to fast for a victory in you. Father, I pray that you would just show up in this room right now and give us encouragement. In Jesus' name, amen.